buying an actual alarm clock because I don't like having it right next to my bed. Why is that? Because I check it. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to be checking it right before bed. Like the blue light is not good for you. I like want to be able to slow down and like encourage myself to read or draw. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. More productive than like being on social media. But my problem right now is that I, I have to set multiple alarms because I'll never hit the snooze. I'll just turn the alarm off. Yeah. And then I will often fall back asleep. So I have about three alarms staggered by 10 minutes. <laughs> and usually third alarm, I'm like definitely up and I'm moving around. But sometimes it's dangerous because I'm sneaking around in the morning because everyone else is still asleep. Yeah. But I'll forget my, to turn my alarm off. Oh, and then you have to go running through the house because it's going off. Uh, I hate that. Uh, and thankfully I haven't had any, uh, no bad moments yet in terms of people waking up because of that. I think I've seen some people shift around in their <laughs> cribs and beds, but thankfully it's fine. What time does your first alarm clock go off? Six o'clock. Six o'clock. I'm a 5.35 gal. Well, right a now. study show, I, I feel like I, I don't have anything to quote. Obviously, I don't I did not prepare <laughs> for this, but uh, I, I, I have to, if I'm recalling my memory correctly, studies show that the people that are waking up super duper early are oftentimes in terms of work ethic and like productivity, like the numbers are staggering. Have you heard this? Is this just me? No, I like those odds though. I haven't okay. heard it, but I- You're I, in good company is yes, what I'm saying. Yes, amazing, fabulous. Okay, great. Um, a lot has happened. A lot past, has uh, happened. Well, I think 72 hours since we, uh, since we last recorded. So um, I'm thrilled in that our podcast has received a lot of positive feedback. Uh, we have a title. We have a title, and we have an incoming caricature logo being designed by uh, two scholars at Odyssey. Um, I'm not going to give away too much, but it features coffee cups, caricatures of Simmons and I, and a globe. Uh, I didn't. I didn't see the globe coming. That's uh, that's a bit of. I know. That's a, that's a bit of a surprise. I like yeah. it. It's like, a mystery. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, so we should welcome you officially to the Odyssey of Learning podcast with Hunter and, and Courtney. <laughs> this is uh, this is groundbreaking stuff that we're on here. So, and we're going to go into some of the feedback that we received a little later on today. But our topic of conversation uh, to keep up with the theme of just informing our audience of who we are and what we do is we're going to be talking about STEM science, technology, and math. Engineering. Engineering, I forgot the E, I'm sorry. Science, technology, engineering, engineering and, and math. math. Oh, I feel so, I feel like I've just disrupted so much. No, 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 no. No one's gonna be, if, if you're offended because I forgot engineering, please accept my sincere condolences. <laughs> but we're at a STEM school, but we're gonna be talking about humanities. Dun -dun -dun. At a STEM school. Yeah, which I feel like comes uh, as a surprise to a lot of people when I tell them, you know, they're like, what do you do for work? And I say, oh, I'm an educator. And they ask, what do you teach? And I say, well, you know, I do humanities, reading and writing, kind of similar to English language arts. Where do you teach? At Odyssey STEM Academy. Cue record scratch. 
<laughs> Do we have a record scratch? I'll, I'll see. I'll, I'll, we'll look in post. I'll All see right. if I can find something. Two record scratch. You teach at a STEM school? Like, what does it even look like to do English at a STEM school? I didn't even think they did English at STEM schools. Yeah. We do. We definitely do. And this is the second such school that I've taught at. Um, the, the school I worked at in San Diego was also uh, STEM focus. Uh, they left STEM out of the name, but regardless, uh, it was a similar uh, setup. And uh, I, I think we first want to talk about maybe some myths um, that a lot of people have about STEM schools before they even really know exactly uh, what it's all about. Myths that I myself had when I thought about interviewing and applying to a STEM school and have since kind of learned um, how to expand my thinking around what happens at STEM schools and how integral English language arts skills and content are uh, in this context of science, technology, engineering, and math. So we've got three myths here that we just want to do a quick rundown. We're uh, going to bust them. Yeah, we're, we're, we're doing our own myth busters here. And the first is that, um, okay, STEM school. This is a school for kids who like science, right? Wrong. Wrong. How, how is that wrong, Courtney? Um, a STEM school in our context at Odyssey is not necessarily a school for kids that quote-unquote like science. STEM schools are uh, full of many kind of unique science-focused ways to approach thinking about problems. And what I think a major misconception that comes with this is that science is only what we know of it as from like our own high school experience, which is like walking into chemistry and then you leave and maybe you don't think about chemistry for the rest of the day or walking into biology or physics and you leave and you don't think about it for the rest of the day. But the focus of our STEM school here at Odyssey is looking at all of the ways that science and technology and engineering and math are integral into our day-to-day -day lives and like the innovation that needs to happen to, to improve the quality of life for everyone around the world. And using this kind of groundwork of understanding science, technology, and engineering, and math, it allows us to access these topics from like ethical perspectives and economic perspectives and historical perspectives, and really does allow our scholars to identify like, what am I interested in under this really pretty broad umbrella? And then they can explore those interests with the support of their advisors. And of course, it means you're looking at it occasionally through a scientific lens, but Otherwise, you're looking at it in the lens of, of your chosen path for the day or for the week or for the year. That was very succinct. Thanks. Was, uh, great. So well, let me say, let me, let me make sure we reiterate here. Let me make sure I'm hearing you correctly. This strategy we teach here. If I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that science, I'm using air quotes, science is so much more when you really expand it to the way in which it impacts our lives on a daily, in many ways, constant way. And this school then is giving scholars an opportunity to really understand those relationships and learn how to really read into them, to dissect these problems and come up with really critical solutions. Absolutely. Awesome. Want to go with the next myth? Yep. Our second myth is that a STEM school is quote unquote only for smart kids. Incorrect. So blatantly incorrect. Hunter, tell us what you mean. I'm happy to. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so on a bare bones level, uh, we at Odyssey STEM Academy, we actually accept admission on a lottery. We go to every single scholar in the school district uh, and we 
first tell them who we are, what we're all about, and then what they can come to expect from an education at a school like ours. We do not cater to any one type of scholar. Uh, one of the pillars in which we as a staff have uh, built this school upon is the belief in that every single individual scholar has infinite potential. That regardless of your academic ability, regardless of your uh, preferences, what your likes, your dislikes, this is a school for you and this is a school that you can be successful at. And all of the structures that we have in place are designed to support learning across the board. Um, we don't track kids. Uh, we don't track any of the classes at the school. Every single freshman this year has taken the exact same classes. Every, every kid sophomore year, junior year, it's going to be the same. And I hear some of you saying like, whoa, Simmons, wait, hang on. This, the, maybe that's not the best decision. What if, what if we got a scholar that uh, is, as we would say, gifted? Uh, don't, don't they need that additional challenge? Don't they, don't they need something a little more engaging? Yeah, we, we give it to them. We, we provide that on a fairly regular basis. And I think one thing that's really unique too about this process is if you're in a room full of young people that maybe don't see themselves as like, oh, I'm a quote unquote gifted person and oh, they're a quote unquote high need person. It's like suddenly if we're giving an opportunity, say for anyone that wants to take on some additional learning to do so, then anyone can sign up to do that additional learning. And I think supporting all of that work is our very focused attention that we place on collaboration and the ability of all scholars to work with each other efficiently to learn from each other. Because we, we have to understand that each of these individual kids brings something unique to the table. And part of our job as advisors is learning how to channel those talents to channel the background and, and everything, all of the uniqueness of our scholars in a way that is going to produce really strong quality work. Uh, and we'll get to that a little bit later. We talk about competencies. But as for the myth... Wait, I have one more thing to say. Okay, yes. Before go we go it. to the next Please. myth. Um, I think another thing that's really integral to think about and to understand when you bust a myth like a STEM school is just for smart kids, busted, is reframing in our minds as educators and as people in general like what it means to be quote-unquote smart uh, and thinking about intelligence as the multifaceted super diverse super unique thing that it is as opposed to like narrowing down kids to gifted or to high need or to smart or to dumb and when you create an environment where those words aren't being placed on kids like they suddenly start to see themselves as way more capable of the infinite potential that Hunter had shared about earlier um, that is really just the groundwork for, for what we do at Odyssey and, and how we believe people learn. Yeah, that's nice. Cool. The, myth number three. If you go to a school like Odyssey STEM Academy, I mean, you're not going to like apply to college. Like the, you're not going to get those class credits, right? Wrong. <laughs> well, that was dramatic pause. I like that. Dramatic pause. Why? What do you mean wrong? I mean, they're all taking the same classes. It's so limiting. They can't possibly qualify for a UC or CSU, could they? They could. <laughs> uh, so without going into too much of the like legal minutiae of uh, like high school credit, uh, it's important to know that Odyssey STEM Academy is a public non-charter high school in a public school district in California. So because of these facts, we have 
structured our days to include coursework that is A through G certified that will count at any UC school or any UC school or SC? CSU. CSU school. Yeah, Sorry, I didn't grow up in California. I don't know <laughs> these things. Uh, like any college, essentially, that a kid would want to apply to. They have the ability to do so. So at the end of the school year, though, our classes are called things like humanities or mathematics or makerspace. Our coursework will translate into a college-accepted transcript that is the same that you would get if you went to a comprehensive high school that is the same in most cases as what you'd get if you went to a private high school. Um, our scholars will have the ability to transfer to whatever college they dream of and they get accepted to. And we're super um, proud to be able to offer the flexibility that we can in our schedule and the diversity in our coursework and still be in compliance with the UC standards of what it would take to uh, qualify as an A through G course. Um, so if you're coming to Odyssey, your future is still has the same potential trajectory as if you're going to a comprehensive high school. Um, you're receiving the coursework that you would have in any other place. And another side note to that, kind of related to this myth, um, I hear a lot of, I, I hear, I've heard some scholars this year talk about um, their concern that there are no AP offerings, at least at this stage in the game. Is that my phone going off? I think that's your phone going off. How did you change the ringer? How did I change the ringer? Yeah. This is, I can show you. It's a settings thing. It's so peaceful. Yeah. Here, I'll go get the ringer. You, you keep talking. Okay. Courtney's going to go answer my phone and, uh, and see what's up. But uh, just to, to finish up that thought about uh, AP classes and not having offerings. Well, you know, we got to refrain that a little bit because we will have honors courses that scholars will be receiving honors credit for. But again, we, we, we kind of the theme of this conversation so far has been on labels, AP, honors, and we know that that has a lot of emphasis um, with the, the colleges that look at these transcripts. But if you actually look at the courses, what we offer in the way of curriculum is very unique and we're giving scholars a chance to grapple with content that you just don't really see offered entirely too much at a comprehensive site. So. You know, you, when you look at these actual courses, I mean, next year with our sophomores, they're going to be in a social science course that constitutes a world history requirement, but is very much focused on the history of environmentalism uh, through a multitude of perspectives. We will look at traditional Western views, but also be looking at indigenous populations as well as uh, non-Western views of environmentalism and what that's looked like throughout history. So. The scholars here at Odyssey STEM Academy are in fact exposed to a diverse array of content. And there's a lot of value in that, uh, at least that we see uh, here at Odyssey. So those are some myths that are dispelled. We busted them. Yeah, so uh, we're happy to do and that. And I also want to note that if you have any questions about other myths you've heard about Dude, STEM exactly. schools, like shoot us an email. Yes, exactly what I was gonna say. Because I feel like the purpose of this podcast is really not only for us to reflect on our work and to share, like pull back the curtain a bit on like what we're doing, but also if there's like any questions about sort of what our school looks like from the inside out, we'd be so happy to address those questions, those myths. Um, it would be like the best. Yeah, I will I will include our emails in the subtext of the podcast. So right underneath whatever wherever you're playing this on, a computer, a mobile device, just look at the details of the podcast and our contact information will be there if you have any questions, we would be thrilled to answer them. 
So the other uh, kind of aspect of this is we want to now narrow our focus to humanities and its role here in the STEM school. Um, in, in many ways, what we do in the humanities classroom is very similar to what you would see at a traditional comprehensive high school, um, particularly when it comes to content and skills. Um, but the way in which that's integrated at a STEM school is, is entirely unique. Now, before the podcast, Courtney and I were talking about our experiences, and she actually um, taught at a couple of different comprehensive high schools before coming to Odyssey. Both of us, of course, have our own personal experiences when we were in high school in that comprehensive model. Um, but I'm, I personally, I'm really curious to hear your perspective on this because this, is, this model is all I know uh, in terms of a professional career. Um, so I'd like to get your take, but I also feel like I have some relevant anecdotal evidence uh, to share in support of these ideas. So um, Courtney, I wanna ask you, um, or kind of maybe just walk through some of the things that we are doing within a humanities course here at Odyssey STEM Academy. Uh, and the first thing is this idea that um, it's not just science texts that we focus on. We actually expose scholars to a diverse array of writing genres, writing styles um, on a fairly regular basis. And so I was wondering if you wanted to start off by commenting on what that looks like here and maybe what that's looked elsewhere in your career so far. Yeah, absolutely. I think that when I consider my own high school experience and the experiences that I had teaching in two comprehensive high schools before this, uh, I noticed there was such a huge emphasis on content uh, in English classrooms. Uh, and, and so much more of the discussion around planning curriculum would be about what book are you reading, right? For example, in Nebraska, the texts that you read as a high school kid are kind of designated to you, depending on what grade level. So like every freshman reads Romeo and Juliet, every sophomore reads Fahrenheit 451, et cetera, et cetera. And if you're in AP classes, obviously your reading list changes, but I would say that the focus in a comprehensive school is more thematic kind of around like themes and ideas and content, whereas the emphasis in our humanities classrooms at Odyssey is a bit more skill driven. And in that way, it is kind of thematic because we pick like the genre of text that we're gonna be exploring. Uh, so for example, in first trimester, we explored informational texts. So throughout that entire trimester, we were reading, writing, thinking about what it means to deliver information through reading, through writing, and through speaking. Second trimester, we explored argumentation and argumentative texts. So we were exploring argument and reading, writing, and thinking. And with that came so much deeper thinking and understanding about the ways that people communicate and why. And looking at texts through that lens to me seems so much more powerful than the work I had been doing at comprehensive schools because it wasn't teaching kids to read Fahrenheit 451. It was teaching kids how to read any book they pick up that has hidden meanings, hidden messages, themes, points, arguments, information, data. It's like suddenly you're not teaching the news article. You're teaching the skills it takes to read and understand and make sense of that news article. And I feel like that difference is probably the most powerful and noticeable for me. Looking at a comprehensive classroom versus what we're doing at Odyssey. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with the way that comprehensive high schools view humanities and view English. 
because I was educated through one, you were educated through one, and many of the most intelligent people on earth are educated in that way. And I think the opportunities that are allotted there really allow you to go deep into what you're reading and understand the story. And storytelling is so important to understand in order to understand humanity and like why we're on this earth and what we're doing here and what we should be doing, thinking about the future. But I don't think it necessarily has prepared young people to take on the challenges of reading, writing, and thinking after high school in the same way that our skill-based model does. So earlier I mentioned first trimester was informational, second trimester was argumentative, and third trimester was all about that storytelling that I just spoke of in high power narrative. <laughs> That's kind of my angle. Yeah, um, and, and you know, to, to support that, um, one of the points that we had established for this podcast was the idea to reinforce um, the fact that do we focus on those quote unquote canonical texts within the context of this course? And I'm sorry to our English colleagues out there if, if this is heartbreaking, but the answer is no, we don't. But that's not a statement on what we value. That's not a statement that we don't value those texts. Clearly, we do as, as English teachers. But Courtney, going to your point, I, I, love, the, I love the phrase skill-driven. I think that underscores so much of the work that we do. Um, and frankly, I've had a number of scholars that are aware, clearly they have friends elsewhere in the district, they're aware of the other texts that they're reading, and oftentimes they will go and pursue those texts themselves. Uh, taking the skills that we work on with informational, argumentative, and narrative texts, and then applying them to what it is they want to read. I think a large part, Courtney, of what you were sharing just now also touches on the idea of um, the scholar's agency. Uh, over their reading and their interests. We're a very skill-driven school. We're also a very interest-driven school. We want to give scholars the opportunity to learn and explore on topics that are engaging to them. I mean, who, who can think back to their English classes or any classes for that matter? And the content was pretty much compulsory, at least in my experience. Uh, if, if you were taking, at my school, if you were taking Honors Humanities your 10th grade year, everyone had to read Homer's Odyssey. Uh, and I say Odyssey because uh, uh, connection, yeah? We were, we were reading The Scarlet Letter. Scarlet Letter, okay, that's the same. I, I remember having to do that one too. I oftentimes remember looking at spark notes. I know, it's like, that's <laughs> the craziest part is I think back to my high school reading experience and I'm like, wow, I don't think I learned how to properly read a text until I was in a freshman level college class in English. And I was taking this like post 18, 50 American literature course and I realized like oh my god spark don't notes don't exist for these texts like that's <laughs> how I learned how to learn text it's not yeah. like the I think the biggest thing here like you're saying is that we're focusing less on understanding the content of compulsory wait compulsory yeah compulsory curriculum mm -hmm. and focusing way more on like you know pick the book that's gonna excite you pick the newspaper article that's gonna excite you pick the topic that's gonna excite you and like read it really well and we're going to spend time in class teaching you what it means to read something really deeply, to formulate meaningful questions on it, to have a conversation about it, and to synthesize and analyze it. Yeah. And that, I think, is where the biggest difference comes in. Absolutely. So to transition from there, another big element of the, the work that we do content-wise um, has everything to do with STEM and everything to do with science, technology, engineering, remember this time, <laughs> and math. So 
Courtney, again, kind of pitting this against your, your prior experience, talk a little bit about the work that we do here in integration with the rest of the content on campus and, and how that was or was not maybe happening in, in your past experience. Yeah, yeah, I think so. What you're trying to ask is um, when I was in high school, every single time I went to a different class, I had a different teacher, different curriculum, and those things never interlapped. Overlapped? Yes interlapped either interlapped yeah yeah and we, and we have the authority to make up words yeah, on this podcast nice. <laughs> um yeah they never overlapped and even thinking about the other comprehensive experiences that i had um though there were efforts to try to think cross-curricularly specifically between english and history courses uh in the last school that i taught at i didn't feel that the work that the young people were doing in their history class was as accessible to me as an English teacher as it could have been. And that model is kind of flipped again on its head at Odyssey where everything that happens within Odyssey is happening within Odyssey. It's not happening within individual classrooms. So for example, if a young person decides to do research for a robot that they're programming in the makerspace, and in that they have to learn about the way a kangaroo hops through extensive research and understanding not only the ideas behind the way a kangaroo hops, but the physics behind the way a kangaroo hops. And they want to be able to articulate in a way that an English teacher like myself like would be able to understand. They're doing so many things that are integral to understanding what it means to read and think deeply about a text. And so we have the authority as humanities advisors to think outside of our own context of our classroom and to think more broadly about work that our young people are doing in the innovation studio in their physics class, the writing that they do in their math class, the speaking, collaborating, writing, reading that they do at their mentorships. And it suddenly opens up an opportunity to think about an English education, not only as to the confines of classroom 15 or classroom five, you're in classroom five, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> classroom 15 or classroom five, but something that is like integral to your learning and your high school experience. Don't you think? You're so passionate. I just. I, Yes, yes, I think that, yes. Um, and, I'm like and, gesturing and like shrugging my shoulders as if there's like an audience here to watch me. I'm glad we that this is feel, only an audio experience. We feel the gestures. We feel it, I assure Good. you. Um, you know, but, but to take that uh, a little, kind of, I don't know if this is a sidestep or something. I, I also want to make sure, you know, I, I never want this podcast to feel accusatory in, 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 in any way in terms of we're doing this, but it's not happening like like we're we're like putting ourselves on this pedestal or anything like we're that. We're not on a pedestal. We're not definitely not on a pedestal. And and something that a larger trend if we kind of expand this to the national dialogue around education, the the efforts towards professional development and collaboration between departments that I have seen um, at the comprehensive schools that I student taught at and and a lot with a lot of my colleagues in the field that are currently placed at comprehensive high schools the the effort towards that cross-curricular communication. Uh, communication is it's happening i'm definitely seeing it um and and it's it's nice to know that uh, this model is starting to become more and more popular uh, for use when you reach the realization that all of these things are interconnected i mean just just like what you were saying um, and, and so I, I value that and it's really, really cool to see. So my, my hope, you know, now talking to our audience here, um, I, I think that you would agree with me that, uh, 
we're starting to see this shift on a much larger scale. It's, this is not isolated to campuses like ours. Um, and this is something that we applaud, we champion. We're, we're super stoked to, that this is becoming a larger trend. Yeah, and totally. And I think that like our model, though, we're really excited about it and obviously feel really passionate about the work that we're doing uh, is far from perfect. And we miss opportunities to collaborate with our like content area partners and our cross curricular partners often. Um, you know, it's not like we're hosting class outside altogether and just walking between groups of, of young people. We are each confined to our own classrooms. And I think that as an educator, just the conscious effort to do the best you can to engage with other content area teachers, be they cross-curricular or be they the same subject that you're teaching, uh, is the way to creating a school culture where you rely on one another to do your best. And I feel like if you're at a comprehensive school, if you're at an elementary school, if you're at a middle school or a non-traditional school, like you can begin to make these changes, like ask to grab coffee with the math teacher and learn about what they're doing in their math classroom. Ask about the physics department or the chemistry department. I think that English teachers so often can get in their box of other English teachers talking about the books that they read or like the essays that they read. But when you start to view learning as this more cross-curricular, like more linked to real life experience, you open yourself up to the humanity of this profession and the depth of learning that really is possible when you work with other people. And I think that's where the magic lies. And, and one quick thing uh, in terms of what humanities looks like, one final point I want to bring up. We don't need to exhaust this one because I think it's a, it's a fairly, um, well, let's just jump into it. Mm -hmm. um, I remember, I'll use an anecdote because I remember thinking back to my high school English classes and the sheer volume of writing that we did was a ton. We, we did a lot of writing. I think at times it felt like I was writing an essay a week, maybe an essay every other week. Whoa. And submitting it and getting it probably two or three days later with a number on the top of it on a scale of one to 100 and circled and and that was it and um, then did you throw it away um i don't know if i threw it away but it's, did you recycle it oh no no recycling was not a, a thing my school was into unfortunately uh i think it made its way to my backpack and i don't think it ever made its way out uh, might have just fallen into another dimension for all I know, probably. but probably. I, I, but, threw, I threw mine away. Yeah, and so. But and I, I loved English for the same re for the same reason though. Whether we threw it away, it's in the backpack, whatever. I never looked at it again. I don't think many people looked at it again. And something that we do that is in direct contrast with that here at Odyssey is we place such a focus on revision. I would argue that we demand the same volume of writing, but the way in which we approach that with feedback and revision and really seeking to understand and improve writing is entirely different. Mm. Um, I agree. This is a, it's a drafting process. Um, I think this name is going to come up on more than one occasion on this podcast. Uh, sort of a, a biblical text of this school uh, is Ron Berger. Uh, Berger? Berger. Dude, Berger. I've, I've heard it both ways. Um, Ron, if you're out there. We need to know how to pronounce your last name. Right. We, we, need, we need this to be a settled. Maybe I'll tag him on the tweet nice. and, uh, and see if he, he chimes in. But uh, uh, a lot of his work, I mean, I, I was aware of, uh, of uh, Berger. Stick with Berger. I was aware with Berger with Austin's Butterfly, uh, the video where he's interviewing these kids and they're understanding how effective, uh, clear, kind feedback can really work to improve something like a drawing of a butterfly. And so much of that just kind of that theory around feedback is what we rely so heavily on here in that 
we're not writing an essay, a different essay every week, every other week, but we are drafting constantly. You and me are giving feedback regularly and, and, and it, there's never a, a close to the conversation. It's just like, okay, you're doing these things really well. Here's some things we could focus on. Here, here's, some, uh, here's some improvements that could be made here. Uh, just thinking about structure, organization, spelling, grammar, all of those things. And we just, they're, they're inundated with, with our comments and ways in which they can improve that writing. And I think that's a pretty important uh, aspect of how we approach humanities here at Odyssey. Absolutely. And I think that it's allowed us to really get into their minds and to understand what they understand and what they don't yet understand about effective writing. Um, so I feel like I've maybe thought a lot about or we've spoken a lot about um, the differences in, in the reading that we do at Odyssey. But I mean, writing is the same way. Uh, it's, it's just a little bit different. And I think that I would echo Simmons in the sense that it's about the same volume that I feel like I was asking of my young people at a comprehensive high school and that I myself did it in a comprehensive high school. Uh, but it's just the focus and the way that we think about writing is way more revisionist and way more iterative as opposed to uh, production oriented. Awesome. So I think to close this podcast, uh, we've gotten a lot of positive feedback already and it's, it's just been a few days. Um, but uh, we want to just give a special shout out to uh, Ryan Smith, uh, our assistant superintendent whoop, whoop. for secondary schools, um, has just been entirely supportive of the podcast effort and uh, notified everyone in the district, uh, kind of started passing it around. Um, and we're just we're really honored uh, that our ideas would be shared on that platform. Um, we also have uh, the blessing of an incredibly supportive administration, uh, our principal, Keith and our academic dean, Becky, uh, the both co-founders of this campus, this place, um, they heard we were doing a podcast and they love it. They, 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 they're entirely supportive also. Um, and the feedback we've received from everybody has been uh, great. The comments that have been coming in from the district. So if you're listening, um, we appreciate you. And uh, we're, we're so grateful that you're taking some time out of your day uh, to just kind of take in our reflections and, and think about practices uh, in education. Uh, but I want, Courtney, we, we got a very special uh, video uh, feedback. I know this is not a video media, but we can certainly include the audio. Tell, tell us about this, uh, this message you received yesterday. Yeah, so, so likewise to Hunter, I've been feeling so uh, just like, like warm inside about all of the positive feedback that we've received uh, from fellow academics, um, from educators, from people that, that work in districts. It's, it's truly an honor to be working in a school district that is so receptive to learning from each other um, and working to better understand what are the best practices to teach kids. Um, so I feel like there's a lot out there. So thank you for being here to sift through with us. Um, and in addition to educators, a friend of mine named Cole uh, sent me a message yesterday kind of reflecting on his experience listening to the podcast and uh, sharing a bit about the application of our words in his own context as a nutritionist. And that cross-curricular thinking is like what we're all about and just kind of envisioning a way that what we're doing, this work that we're doing at Odyssey can, can look like in the workplace. Uh, so let's take a listen. Yeah, go Cole. Honestly, I want to keep listening because as I was listening to it, I was comparing a lot of what you were saying to not only my high school experience, but also in college. But truthfully, I was mainly thinking of how a lot of the criteria and the competencies uh, could be sort of mirrored honestly in the workplace. And one of my biggest critiques about 
the different roles and jobs that I'm in and that I play and especially within like this corporate situation where I'm literally here now one of my biggest flaws is them trying to like quantify actions that aren't necessarily quantifiable when they're qualitative that's that's really powerful uh, and I I relate to that so much in that similar to Cole I kind of have this uh this this hindsight effect this kind of retrospective like oh if, if only my education and my learning was approached in this way I would feel so much more prepared mm -hmm. I would I would feel so ready for the world and its craziness um so it's it's great I'd love first I'd love that he sent the feedback that's uh I know. to take the time to do that that's great I know uh, but I, I totally hear him uh, and, and I resonate with that uh, tremendously. Yeah, yeah, I do as well. Um, it makes me reflect back on my, my own high school and college experience as well as any job I had from that point on. Uh, it's just interesting to think about models of professional development that include strength-based thinking and include the mindset that like you're not there yet. And that sort of thinking about the potential, the infinite potential of an employee, of a leadership team, or of a kid is, is really, I think, what's going to be the key to, to happiness and higher work productivity and uh, just a, a solution to a lot of our, of our current problems in this world. Again, so amazing that he would take the time uh, to put that together and very thoughtful. Um, so Cole, thank you so much for uh, thank you, Cole. being our first kind of pseudo guest on uh, the Odyssey of Learning podcast, if you want to look at it that way. But uh, anyways, that's our time uh, today. Thank you again for spending it with us. Uh, we're going to be recording a few more of these episodes before we break for the summer. Um, Courtney and I and the incoming humanities team uh, to Odyssey are going to be uh, doing some professional development over the summer, getting our curriculum ready, kind of just talking about uh, what went well, what maybe we can improve upon uh, this next year. And what comes next? And we'll release these episodes uh, over the course of the summer just to kind of stagger things out. But again, I'll put my email, I'll put Courtney's email in the, uh, in the podcast notes and uh, feel free to reach out to us anytime. We love feedback and, uh, and uh, so far we're just, we're really honored uh, with, uh, with the words that you've chosen to share with us. So thank you. Thank you, super honored. Uh, once again, this has been the Odyssey of Learning with Courtney. And Hunter. Have a good one. See you guys.